Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. years ago, I had a blood test done, and you'd be amazed the pages of data they can come up with from just a blood test. And the doctor had to sit down in front of me and give me some bad news telling me that within five to eight years, somewhere in that area, if I didn't change my ways, I was going to end up with a big stack of health problems. So she had to get me to step outside of the box, so to speak, to step outside of myself to take a look back at what I was doing so that I could see what was wrong, the things I was doing wrong. she You could call it my guilt in that sense, that I was doing something wrong in my diet, the way I was handling my health. She had to get, get me out of my box. But I'm glad she got me to step outside of the box, but to look at myself to see what I was doing wrong. Because today in 1 Kings 20, I'm calling this step outside the box. Because we're going to see a prophet of the Lord is going to take extreme measures to get King Ahab to take a look at what he was doing wrong. So to set the stage of the previous chapter, the Lord had told Elijah and Elisha, they were both going to go forward and do this new work, but he told Elijah to go anoint two new kings, one for Israel and one for Syria, and they would end up killing off the unrepentant worshipers of Baal. God was done. It's time to clean house. We're going to get the Baal worship out of here. But how do you anoint two new kings for Israel and Syria when Israel and Syria already had kings? That's what we're going to find out now in 1 Kings 20, verse 1. Now Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his forces together. Thirty-two kings were with him, with horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. Then he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine. Your loveliest wives and children are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. Where did all these kings come from? Because we just heard about anoint two new kings for Assyria and Israel, but 32. Where did 32 kings come from? They were basically city kings. He got a gang of mayors to go with him. We would call it a mayor today of a city. But back then, each city, they appointed a leader as a king. Then you had a national king. And so they were just, they were called kings. There's 30, he got 32 cities to come with him with their kings. So King Ahab realized he was greatly outnumbered, and so he submitted pretty quickly to Ben-Hadad's bully tactics that I call it. 1 Kings 20, verse 5. Then the messengers came back and said, Thus speaks Ben-Hadad, saying, 
Indeed, I have sent to you, saying, You shall deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children. But I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they shall search your house and the houses of your servants. And it shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eyes, they will put it in their hands and take it. So the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Notice, please, and see how this man seeks trouble. For he sent to me for my wives, my children, my silver, and my gold, and I did not deny him. And all the elders and all the people said to him, Do not listen or consent. Therefore he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my lord the king, All that you sent for to your servant the first time I will do, but this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought back word to him. You know, friends, every time, you ever notice, every time you try to appease bullies, every time you try to make a bully happy, it only makes them push harder. And that's what our culture is doing to us, all the sinful agendas out there demanding everything, trying to shove everything down our throat. Every time you try to appease them a little bit, they take more. Same thing here. But since King Ahab gave in to Ben-Hadad's demands so easily on the first round, Apparently, Ben-Hadad thought he could make new demands, but Ahab refused his second round. 1 Kings 20.10 Then Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, The gods do so to me, and more also, if enough dust is left of Samaria for a handful for each of the people who follow me. So the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. And it happened when Ben-Hadad heard this message, as he and the kings were drinking at the command post, that he said to his servants, get ready, and they got ready to attack the city. Suddenly, a prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel, saying, thus says the Lord, have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I just love it when God does this. Look at the timing. Right when it's getting bad, a prophet shows up because the Lord sent someone to the king of Israel. But check this out. Was Ahab a bad guy? Yes, he was. The king of Israel, yes, he was a bad guy. Did he deserve to go down for all the mess that he made? Remember, he was pushing the worship of Baal, a false god. So yes, he deserved to go down. His situation that he was in That was the result of his own fault. But then suddenly, here comes a prophet of the Lord. Ahab is way over his head in big trouble. But then, bam, the Lord sends him a way out. And friends, isn't that just like our God? God told Ahab, I'm going to flip these odds. You're outnumbered, but I'm going to flip this over into your favor. 1 Kings 20 and 14. So Ahab said, by whom? And he said, Thus says the Lord by the young leaders of the provinces. Then he said, Who will set the battle in order? And he answered, You. Then he mustered the young leaders of the provinces, and there were 232, and after them he mustered all the people, all the children of Israel, 7,000. So they went out at noon. Meanwhile, Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings helping him were getting drunk at the command post. So Ahab had no idea how to get out of this mess, but God gave him the strategy, and he started putting that strategy to work. He got the 
the the leaders of the provinces, and he put them in the strategy that would get him out of this impossible mess. But the Lord told him how to get it done, and so he's listening and he's following that. So it says that Ahab attacked at what time? Did you see that? It said at noon, twelve o'clock, straight up. Okay, why is this important? Because high noon was considered way too hot for anybody to be crazy enough to go and attack in the desert at that time of day. I mean, it's just, it just isn't done. So you can tell that Ben-Hadad and his crew, they were caught totally off guard because they were drinking, they were partying down like a bunch of frat boys. They had no idea anybody would try to attack at this time of the day because that's the wrong time of the day to do it. <laughs> But the Lord knew they would not expect it, and so he told King Ahab, this is the way to do it. This is the time to go. Godly timing. First Kings 20 and 17. The young leaders of the provinces went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out a patrol, and they told him, saying, men are coming out of Syria. So he said, if they have come out for peace, take them alive. And if they have come out for war, take them alive. Then these young leaders of the provinces went out of the city with the army that, which followed them, and each one killed his man. So the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the cavalry. Then the king of Israel went out and attacked the horses and chariots and killed the Syrians with a great slaughter. Okay, so you can see that Ben Hadad at first he didn't think they were come they had come there to fight. No, it's too hot. This is the wrong time of the day to be doing this kind of thing. And so that's what I why I think Ben Hadad only sent out a patrol. He didn't send out a full launch force. He sent out a patrol only because he wasn't expecting a fight at this time of day. And just as the prophet said, Ahab killed off a lot of Syrians despite the fact that he was greatly outnumbered. Christian, listen to this story. You feel outnumbered with the challenges you have in life with your enemy coming against you? All you got to do is listen to the Lord and do what he tells you to do and obey that. 1 Kings 20 and 22. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said to him, Go, strengthen yourself, take note, and see what you should do. For in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come up against you. Then the servants of the king of Syria said to him, their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore, they were stronger than we. But if we fight against them in the plain, surely we will be stronger than they. So do this thing. Dismiss the kings, each from his position, and put captains in their places, and you shall muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain. Surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. <laughs> so here's old Ben Haydad. He's just drinking like a, with his frat boy friends, and, and now he's taking advice from, the, from a lot of these guys. I mean, he's just he's not thinking. He doesn't have the marbles, I guess. So anyway, the Syrians, they think they're smart here, when in reality, they're just as dumb as they were when they were getting drunk. So they advised Ben-Hadad to replace all his little gangster boys, all his little frat boys, let's drink a beer tonight, replace all these guys, replace the kings that he'd been running with, get rid of all your old drinking buddies, and replace them with military guys that actually know what they're doing. 
And this time, we're going to beat them on our turf. These guys didn't realize all turf is God's turf because they said, hey, we can't beat them over here because they had the upper hand. Their God is stronger over there, but over here, we're going to win. Hey, God owns all the world, okay? They're in for trouble. The Lord God is fighting for Israel. 1 Kings 20 and 26. So it was in the spring of the year that Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were mustered and given provisions, and they went against them. Now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, while the Syrians filled the countryside. Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Why do you think the Lord God is setting Israel up in all these positions like this? Being outnumbered, it doesn't look good, all this terrible stuff. He's doing all this to show them that he's the Lord God. See, you've got King Ahab. He's been worshiping Baal, pushing Baal worship. God is trying to show him, look, I'm the Lord God. You're going to know I'm the one you should be worshiping, not Baal. And God was using these situations to demonstrate that. But look at verse 26. What time of the year does it say that it was? It was exactly when the Lord's prophet told Ahab it would be in the spring. He said in the springtime, he's going to come back and look what time it is. Friends, don't tell me that God does not know what he's doing. He does. And even though Ahab was outnumbered, still, he still had the upper hand because of the Lord. Now, this was the Lord working through impossibility. When people look at situations, this is too big, it's too big for us, God says, I want you to know I am the Lord. That's what he said in verse 28. We're going to do this impossible thing so that you will know who I am. I am the Lord God worth worshiping. The Lord was working through circumstances and impossibility to prove himself to Ahab. Friend, do you ever feel like you're in an impossible situation that it's totally unfair? God's trying to prove himself to you if you will just wake up and listen to what he's telling you to do about it and follow his direction. And so you can tell that Ahab was at least listening to the Lord because he had his forces set up in two separate groups, like two little flocks of goats, like it said. Well, why two groups? Why not one group? Apparently, this was the Lord's strategy, and Ahab is following it. That indicates a strategy. 1 Kings twenty twenty nine. And they encamped opposite each other for seven days. So it was on the seventh day, the battle was joined, and the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day. But the rest fled to Aphek into the city. Then a wall fell on 27,000 of the men who were left. And Ben-Hadad fled and went into the city into an inner chamber. Oh my gosh. Guys, look at this. 100,000 dead. They are gone. And imagine the the guys that got away. Okay. There's 27,000. They got away. They ran off and they're like, whew, that was, that was close. We almost got hit on that one. And then, whoa, look out, smack. The wall falls on them all. I mean, can you imagine such a thing as that? What, what overwhelming losses 
Do you think they outnumber Ahab now? Isn't this the most obvious flashing neon sign that says the Lord is God? I mean, hello. What kind of ignorant do you have to be on to not see God's hand in all this? God's doing a great work here. 1 Kings 20, verse 31. Then his servant said to him, Look now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Please, let us put sackcloth around our waists and ropes around our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. So they wore sackcloth around their waists and put ropes around their heads and came to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. And he said, Is he still alive? He is my brother. Now the men were watching closely to see whether any sign of mercy would come from him. And they quickly grasped at this word and said, Your brother Ben-Hadad. So he said, Go bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came out to him, and he had him come up into the chariot. So Ben-Hadad said to him, The cities which my father took from your father, I will restore. And you may set up marketplaces for yourself in Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab said, I will send you away with this treaty. So he made a treaty with him and sent him away. Oh, good gosh, this is not the outcome that the Lord told him to go and do. Ahab just disobeyed. But you look how all of a sudden Ben-Hadad's saying, your servant, he's calling him his servant. Oh, spare my life. You see how this little knucklehead, this little sly little snake in the grass, who was going to take his wives and children and everything he had, all of a sudden he's trying to play to Ahab all of a sudden. Now that the numbers turned, yeah, you know, the wall fell on 27,000. How terrible is that? Anyway, he's playing a different tune now all of a sudden, isn't he? But this is not what the Lord wanted to happen. It's not what he told Ahab to go out and do. God told Ahab to kill, kill him, this wicked Ben-Hadad, the guy that had threatened his people Israel. Now imagine if somebody came up and said, I'm going to take your wife. I'm going to take all your kids. I'm going to take all your money, and it's now mine and too bad for you. Wouldn't there not be a fight on for that? You bet there would be. And so I want us to realize that Ben-Hadad threatened to take not just any people. He threatened to take away God's people. That was against the covenant that God said, here, I'm going to make a place for you to dwell. This is your land, and go dwell there. And he's going to try to take that away. I'm sorry. This isn't good, and I'll, I'll tell you right now, God took that threat very seriously, and that's why he's doing something about it now. But look, here was King Ahab calling Ben-Hadad, brother, he's my brother, and old Ben-Hadad sure was playing his best little tricks on him, isn't he? He says, oh, I'll give you all your towns back, the ones that I took away from, oh, I'll give them back. <laughs> and then you can set up marketplaces like my dad did. Oh, we did such good business. You can set up marketplaces, and, and I'm going to help you make lots of, ding, 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 money. And here's here's Ahab. Oh, you're my brother now. You, you see how people quickly flip when it comes to the big dollar sign, or in their case, the shekel? He dangled that little money bait in front of him, and Ahab's eyeballs just started to spin around like, woohoo, let's go make a treaty, brother. I'll send you away with a treaty, and yeah, we're going to make lots of money. I'll tell you something right now. Anybody dares 
to try to take my family away. I am not going to be calling you brother for that, okay? Ben Hadad messed with God's people. He threatened God's covenant people. He ordered Ahab to take him out for it. He even gave Ahab the assurance and the victory to do it. But Ahab did not follow through with what God told him to do with that victory. Christian, this is my big parallel in here that I want you to hear. When God gives you the assurance of victory through Jesus Christ, what you do with that is you follow through with it and you obey the Lord God. You do what he says. You don't just go up to a point and then spin off or go making big money again like a lot of people do. You do what God says. He gives you assurance. You follow through with it. Do what the Lord tells you to do. 1 Kings 20 and 35. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his neighbor by the word of the Lord, Strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, Surely, as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left him, a lion found him and killed him. Okay, I know you're thinking, oh, what just happened here? (laughs) Where did this story come from? And what is going, what's going on? Hit me? No, I won't. Okay, a lion's going to kill you. This is weird. I know, but hear me out. It's it's one of them things you got to just listen to or you're going to miss it. A prophet. Of a, bunch, a group of other prophets. He was given a very odd assignment from the Lord. He was supposed to go out and get injured on purpose. And the only way you can really do it is have somebody else smack you. You can't really hit yourself and create an injury. Now, now why is that? Oh, hang with me. Now, this prophet here, he was known to belong to a school of prophets at some institution in Israel that taught men how to take the law of Moses out and go talk about the Lord. And so when the man saw this prophet. He knew he was a prophet. Apparently, they dressed a certain way or they were just known or something. He knew he was a prophet. So I can understand why he did not want to hit him when he said, strike me, please. Like, what? You want me to do what? Well, being that this was a recognized prophet, the man that was supposed to hit him should have understood up front, okay, you're a prophet. Uh, God must have some reason for it. So, okay, I guess I'll do it. But he told him, you disobeyed the Lord. The man could have said, oh, that's disobedience to the Lord. Well, here, I'll hit you then. But he still didn't do it. And so the command was to hit him. The Lord had to have had a use for it. And so the man's refusal was disobedience to the Lord. And so the Lord judged him by having a lion come and kill him. Now, I know you're thinking, that's weird. And that's very harsh. I mean, that's like crazy. But I want you to remember the prophet in chapter 13. Those of you who have been following me through this First book of First Kings. I want you to remember chapter 13. If you haven't heard it yet, go back and listen to First Kings 13. There was a guy, a prophet, that was sent to warn Jeroboam to stop worshiping false gods. And after he got done warning him, the Lord told the prophet, he says, you come straight home. You don't you hang around. You get out of there. But the prophet hung around. He hung around with somebody. And so the Lord judged him with what? The same thing. A lion attack. This lion got it. The same thing that we see here in chapter 20. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time 
unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.